So good to see all of you this morning. If you have your Bible, and I trust that you do, you will turn uh, to the fourth chapter of Psalm. I'm beginning a new series this morning uh, that I've entitled Psalms for the Soul. It's a, a summer series. It'll take us through the rest of the summer. We'll be looking at multiple different psalms throughout the, the scripture. Uh, let me give you a little background, uh, kind of what's going on in the book of Psalm. Uh, as you look at different psalms, there's a tendency for us to think that David wrote all the psalms. That's not true. The book of Psalms has seven different uh, authors uh, throughout the book, uh, at least. And so you have to kind of uh, do some research, do some understanding. The psalm that we will look at this morning, David did write. It's uh, Psalm chapter 4. Um, David wrote about half the Psalms, uh, as far as we can tell. About 73 of the, of the books in uh, Psalms can be attributed uh, to David. Uh, Moses wrote some of them. Asaph wrote some of them. You'll, you'll find different authors for, for these different books all throughout uh, the book of Psalms. I don't know that we'll look at only David's Psalms, but there's a good possibility that many of the Psalms that we will look at as we go through the rest of the summer will be David's psalms because he wrote half of them. Um, the, the thing I love about uh, David and, and the book of Psalms in, in, in general, as you look at these psalms uh, and you pick one out like Psalm 4 or Psalm 6, as you begin to look at these individual books, you'll, you'll find some things that I love about uh, this book. Uh, one of them is that uh, they're practical. Uh, they're incredibly practical. David was a practical writer, and, you, and you'll see this as we look at Psalm 4 this morning. Uh, the other thing is they're very doctrinal. Uh, there, there's doctrine woven throughout the book of Psalms. Uh, you will see it um, in, in every chapter, uh, and you will see it in almost every verse where uh, doctrine is very heavenly, heavily, heavily involved in, in this book. And, and then what many of you love and what I appreciate is that they have a devotional quality to them. Uh, by that, I mean that they have the ability uh, to teach us, uh, but not uh, almost not kind of hidden, but where it's very upfront with us and, and helps guide us through practical things that are going on in our life. When, when you're doing a devotional in the morning or doing a devotional in the evening or doing a devotional during the day, you hope that that devotional hits some aspect of your life that really needs to be addressed. Uh, that's one of the, uh, the things that people really love, and, and it's one of the things that I know affects me and I know affects you. One of the reasons I know it affects you is because many of you will post on social media or you'll contact me even directly and say, I read this devotional this morning, and it was just overwhelming how it, how it hit and targeted me exactly where I am at this moment in my life. Well, that's the aspect of psalm that, that people really love, that, that we really enjoy. And so I would encourage you uh, to understand that as you look at the book of psalm. That's why many uh, ministers, many pastors, many theologians uh, will tell you that one of the great things that you can do as you do a, a daily Bible reading, would be uh, 
Many will tell you, take one of the books of Proverbs. You know, there's 31 books, so there's uh, a chapter for every day in the month, pretty much, as you go along. And they'll say, it's always great to read a, uh, a chapter out of Proverbs, uh, the wisdom book uh, that will help you. And then a lot of them will say, and it's great to work your way through the book of Psalms, too, as you're doing devotionals. Now, this morning in Psalm 4, uh, here, here's the devotional and in, in the theology and the practical that's being tackled. I, I entitled the sermon, Tackling Troubles, uh, Tackling Troubles, but uh, it very easily could be subtitled, How to Get a Good Night's Sleep. Uh, and I know many of you uh, desire that. Uh, it, you don't have to look very far in statistics to realize that especially Americans uh, have trouble sleeping. Uh, it's our busy lives. It's the, the things that we do with our mind. It's uh, the emotions that get wrapped up, but we struggle. Uh, look at statistics. 20, according to Consumer Reports, 27% of adults say they struggle to sleep. That means that one out of every four of us in here struggles when they go to bed at night. It could be some kind of an ache or a pain, a, a mental issue. Uh, 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 there, there, there's all kinds of things, financial issues. We'll, we'll kind of talk about some of those as far as all the different things. I'll, I'll just list them real quickly and, and obviously won't even touch on them all. Uh, Consumer Reports says that, that by 2020, that they expect Americans to spend, and <clears throat> this is not a misquote, and you can go look at it if you don't believe your pastor, but they, in 2020, they expect Americans to spend $52 billion in sleeping aids. $52 billion to be able to sleep better. So the question that I'm asking you and the question that I, I'm even asking myself, because when, when I study these things, I, I really a lot of times target things that I deal with too, obviously. But the, trouble, the, the question is, are, are you having trouble sleeping at night? And what is it about the night that makes your struggles kind of rise to the surface? Well, you and I know that it's because everything kind of slows down and you put your head on that pillow and and then your mind just starts going 90 miles an hour and, and everything comes to the surface. So what are you struggling with? Is it worry? Is fear your struggle? Is anger your struggle? Is resentment your struggle? Is guilt your struggle? Or regrets your struggle? Do you feel more helpless and hopeless? Do you feel like there's nothing that you can do about your issues? Do you rehash the past and dread the future? Let me ask you that again. Do you rehash the past and do you dread your future? Well, if, if you look at Psalm 4, there's eight verses that basically are the best sleep aid that's ever been written. Look at verse 8. David says, I will lie down and I will sleep in peace for you, O Lord, Make me dwell in safety. So today's word from God is, is, is for all of us. Today you can know how to have a heart full of peace even when you have a head full of troubles. Let me say that to you again because I want to make sure you hear me say this. Today you can have 
a heart full of peace even though you have a head full of troubles because you serve the Lord God Almighty and he has promised you that you can put your head on that pillow at night and you can sleep in peace. So let me very briefly share with you three ways that God teaches us from these scriptures how we can find peace in him. Look at Psalm 4 with me. Look at verse 1. Answer me when I call to you, O my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. How long, O men, will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Here's the recipe that David's developing for you, and it starts off in verse 1 and 2, and the recipe is this. You are allowed to pour out your heart to God. I'm going to repeat this. You may be repeating a lot of stuff today, but there's people that don't believe me when I tell you this. But God says that you can pour your heart out to him, that you can tell God exactly what you're feeling. Now, I wrote several passages down here. We're not going to look at them all today, but if you look at Psalms 10, the, the very first verse, David says, why do you hide from me, God? And if you look at Psalm 89, verse 46, David says to God, how long, God, before you answer me? And if you look at Psalm 38, verse 4, David says to God, you have crushed me. Look, that, that's, that's not what I wrote down here that Charles Spurgeon says that we typically pray. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. Charles Spurgeon said that most people pray with a steeple in their throat. Do you know what that means? That means that when we stand up before God, we've got this understanding of who God is, that he's God, and so the only way that we can talk to him is we can talk to him with a steeple in our throat. Oh, most holy, most righteous God, the God, the creator of the universe, thou knowest who I amest. And you must come to me and help us me in my time of need. That sounds crazy, but that's how a lot of us act. Most of us don't go to God and say, Dear God, you are killing me. Right? That's what David said. You can't deny that. When David says, You are crushing me, that's the uh, biblical version from 2,000 years ago, where we would say to God, you're just killing me right now. And we think it's not okay to say, but Scripture shows us over and over again and uses David as the incredible example that you can go to God and say, God, you are killing me right now. Can you get off my throat? Can you let me breathe for just a moment? It's absolutely okay for you to do that. It's absolutely okay for you to talk to God. David tells you and shows you that he struggles in his relationship with God. And if David struggles in his relationship with God, so can you. <laughs> I don't know that this is really even good theology for me to tell you this, but I, I, I've thought about the times that I'm frustrated with Laura. And I, I talk to Laura. 
And I'll say stuff like, are you kidding me? Have you not heard one word that I've said? And she usually goes, I heard every word you said. I'm just not paying any attention to you at all. Well, that, that's, this is crazy to say, but I, I'm allowed to talk to God just like I talk to Laura. God, are you kidding me? Are you not listening to one word I've asked, one plea that I've made, something that I'm, is very important to me right now, and it seems like you're not even listening at all? You know what that is? That's you being honest with God. And being honest with God is exactly what he wants from you. I heard somebody say this just outside my hall just a few minutes ago. I would rather somebody be honest all day long because it's harder to not be honest than it is to be honest. That's why the struggle comes when you talk to God and you pretend to God that everything's just, oh, perfect, rosy, peachy, keen. God, I have the most incredible marriage. You've given me more money than I know what to do with. My children are all amazing. Thank you, God. You're just wonderful. That's great if that's you. And if it is you, will you please come tell me how you pulled that off? Because I can't believe that. Most of us, unless you're just totally different than me and most everybody that I know, most of us, we're struggling with our children. We're struggling with our finances. We're struggling with our job. We're struggling in the church. We're struggling with all different kinds of places. Our marriage, everything's somewhat of a struggle. Right? Now, I'm not trying to paint this as all doom and gloom, but the honesty is, and you know this, that raising children is hard work. Your marriage is hard work. Your job is hard work. And God wants to walk with you in the midst of that hard work. But he must have your honesty. I, I get tickled all the time. It's, it's a theological principle that none of us put into practice. But God is omniscient, correct? He knows everything, correct? So he knows exactly what's going on in your life. It's not like, it, it always amazes, it's like you're, four-year-old, you know, that's trying to hide something from you. You know, like they ate every popsicle in the freezer and they're covered with popsicle stuff and you're saying to them, did you eat the popsicles? No. You know, and you're going, well, you're covered in popsicle. Well, raise that a million times. Come to the understanding of who your God is and he knows what your marriage is like. He knows what your children are like. He knows what your job is like. He knows what your checkbook is like. He knows how your car breaks down every other time you turn it on. He knows. He understands. And you can be honest with him and talk to him about it. That's what David is saying here. Look at verse 3. Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. And that the Lord, oh my gosh, can you see this? The Lord will hear when I call to him. And then verse 4. In your anger, do not sin. When you are on your bed, search your heart and be silent. You very good at doing that? I'm not. I'm really not very good at all. This is part B, the second understanding of what 
David is trying to teach us. He says, pour out your heart and be honest with him. But then the second thing is he says, examine your heart. That, that's what he's saying here. In your anger, do not sin. And when you're on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. Okay? This, is, this is David telling you and me, uh, take a moment and, and, and check your heart out. And, and when you're troubled, search your own heart for answers. And ask God what he needs to change in your heart. You know the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. You know, if you're struggling with your finances, there's answers available for you. You can cry out to God, and one of the ways God might answer is he might put you in, in touch with Derek and Lindsay, and, and you understand that they teach a class called Financial Peace, and, 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 and Matt and Amanda and Jason and Rachel, there, there, there's all kinds of people who might step up right here and say, hey, if you're struggling financially, maybe we can walk that with you. Maybe we can help you with that. And, and, and that's you pouring out your heart to God, searching your heart for answers, and God saying, I've got an answer for you. It's right there in your congregation. They can help you. They'll walk with you. That, that's what is being taught to us in Scripture. It, it's saying to God, where do I need to change? You know, the, any of you who are parents uh, would understand that the most frustrating part about raising your children is when they make mistakes and don't own up to it. We talked about this before. But, but what David is telling you here and what David's telling me here is you're perfectly, it's perfectly okay to go to, go, go to God and be totally honest with him. But when you go to God and you're totally honest with him, you better start looking at your heart and seeing what God wants to change within your heart. I, I, uh, this past Wednesday night, and I may do a little blurb about it again in just a minute when we do announcements. But this past Wednesday night, we did we started the, the survey of the New Testament, where we're, we're watching four weeks of a video that David Platt, uh, one of the most brilliant theologians in America, is doing. And he's, he's ripping us through, in four weeks, the whole New Testament. And uh, I, I could not be more encouraged as your pastor, because I, I tried to convince you that I thought this would be great for you and that this was like a seminary class and that you would eat this up and that it would help you and, and it would help me. And uh, lo and behold, on Wednesday night, it, close to 100 people came to watch that. And I could not be more encouraged than that. And if you miss this past Wednesday night, it's not too late to come this Wednesday night and, and get back into it. And I can show you how to catch up and, and do the first one. But he, he said something, David Platt said something that, blew me away, and it's the biblical principle in here, uh, because he was talking about the authors of the New Testament, in, in the New Testament, all the books, and uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all through 27, and, and he was talking about all these authors who, who wrote, and Paul obviously wrote a lot of the books, but he, he was saying that each one of them basically is a letter that's written, and and they wrote a letter, and this is the way he explained it, and I loved it. Uh, he said, to look at the New Testament, you look at it three different ways. He said, you look at it uh, as literature, you look at it as history, 
and, and, and you put it under the microscope and you look at it uh, as theology. And so he was talking about the literary part of it, and he said each one of them w was written like a letter, and he said it was written like a letter of their life. And, and then he, he said to everybody who's listening, he said, everyone is writing a letter of their life. And, th and the question has to be, what will your letter say about you? And, and I love this part. This is exactly what he said. He said, what will your letter say about you? And more importantly, what will your letter say about the God that you worship? Think about that for a minute. You know, as you're examining your heart, and as you're trying to determine, you know, what needs to change within my life, what needs to change within my heart to be somebody who worships God and who loves God passionately and cares about God passionately, what will my letter say? When, when my life is over and, and when the last sentence has been written and the last period has put down, what will my life say? Not so much about me. But what will my life say about the God I worship? You look through the New Testament, you look at every author, they're not writing about themselves. Now, he, he pointed this out, and it's fascinating, but every author has their own uh, tendencies and their own thought processes and their, even, even their own uh, uh, kind of built-in things that how life has affected them it's all written within the New Testament, but if you look at every letter, it's pointing to God and who God is and why we should serve Him. Well, th that's what I, I want you to understand here. When, when I say that you can pour out your heart to God, I, I believe that with all my heart. And when I say that you should examine your own heart, I, I believe that with all my heart too. And, and the reason that I want you to get that and the reason I want to get that and I want to be the best that I can be at this is because I want my life to be a letter that points to God, the God that I worship, the, the God that I trust. Listen, it, 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 um, it, it can come across as back patting here uh, where I'm just going, congratulations, you've done a wonderful thing here and so you'll just please forgive me if it comes across that way and you'll bear with me in the fact that I you know all my flaws and you know that I struggle in weakness sometimes but yesterday I, I had the privilege of being asked uh, to perform a wedding ceremony to officiate at a wedding ceremony and I, I wish I'd have brought the card uh, with me uh, it's one of Ashley's friends who uh, doesn't go to church, was raised uh, in a Catholic church and really doesn't attend that much uh, that I know of. And, and I'm not trying to knock her, and you know that uh, about me. Uh, but Ashley and her have been friends ever since high school. And she's moved away and has been very successful in her career. And she's getting married in, in April. And I had she asked Ashley to be in her wedding but I had no idea that she wanted would want me to officiate her wedding but she she gave me a card and in that card when when I opened that card uh, and you'll just forgive me for paraphrasing this somewhat 
But it, it basically said, uh, you're the only pastor that I've really known. And you and Laura's marriage has been a godly example to me ever since I've known you. And I could think of nobody that I would want more to officiate and bring God to our wedding than you. Well, that, that was overwhelming to me. I mean, you know, there's some guys that doing a wedding is a pain. Um, you know, the, the, those kind of things that we have to do that aren't Sunday mornings and all that kind of stuff, you know, it's just a big pain. Um, but, you know, in, in this situation, they're, first of all, they're, they're not always pains. Uh, they're, they're a wonderful blessing to where you hope to be able to direct somebody to start off their, their lives together as husband and wife and following God. But the, the second thing is this, that um, it, it was an honor for us to be asked because of the value that she saw that Laura and I place God in our marriage. So th this is what I, I want you to get out of this, that, that you need to examine your heart and see your failures like I do and like all of us do. But then you need to see how God can use you because God is allowing you to write the letter in, in, of your life. And it, it needs to point to God. And I have seen you. I know you. You are my family now. I was telling somebody the other day after, you know, a year and however many months, four or five months now, this is my family. You are my home. I know the good things about you. I know the struggles that you have. Uh, we all know that about each other. But what I want us to do is walk hand in hand together, uh, pouring out our hearts to God, examining our hearts before God, being honest with God, and writing our letters so that we are pointing other people to God. That's what I want us to do. Listen, the, the very last thing that David shows us here, if you look at verse 5, it says, offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. Many are asking, who can show us any good? Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. You have fulfilled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abounds. What, what David is saying here is nothing compares to my relationship to God. And, and what he's saying here is I'm going to give my heart to God. So uh, uh, you understand kind of the principle that, that's been going on here is you can pour out your heart to God and, and then you can examine your heart before God. But the best thing that you can do is offer your heart to God then. Say, so God, here it is. I, I'm... I want you to be it, uh, the God of my life. I, I want you to have this sacrifice. You know, in the Old Testament, they sacrificed animals. What do we do? What did Christ do for us? How did Christ show us to, to live our lives? We don't have to sacrifice any animal anymore. What do we have to sacrifice? We have to sacrifice our heart. We have to offer God our heart. That, that's what he wants. That's why in, in Psalm 51, David said, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Because he wants to give it to God as a sacrifice. That, that's what we all need to do. Nothing will fill your heart with greater joy than giving it to God. 
Have you ever thought about this before? We, we were laughing about this the other day with some people we know. You know, we, we need to get them a gift, and they have everything. I mean, they have everything. I'm looking at them all the time going, why don't they give us a gift? You know? They got everything. We don't have what they have. And, and I started, started thinking, I don't, I don't even know what we got them. I just give that to Laura. I mean, you figure it out because I don't know what to get them. But have you ever thought, you know, what are you, you going to give God? You're going to give him your house? Well, yeah, but he doesn't need your house. You're going to give him all your money? Well, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You're going to give him all the toys that you have, all the four-wheelers, the boats, the airplanes. You're going to give that all to God? Well, that's great. He doesn't need it. You know what he really wants? He wants your heart. He, he, he could care less about everything else because if you give him your heart, then he's captured everything. Once you give God your heart, he owns your cars. He owns your house. He owns your wallet. He owns everything. And once you give that heart to him, then he's got it. So, so how, do we, how do we sleep good at night? How do we navigate these times of trouble in our life? How do we put our head on the pillow and, and sleep at night? Well, you pour out your heart to God, you examine your heart, and then you give your heart to God. That sounds simple, I know. But th that's the eight verses that David gave us to teach us how to sleep well. You, know, you, you go to sleep, and if you give your heart to God, let him know what you're really thinking, make sure that you've examined your own heart, I can promise you, you can lay your head down at night and you can sleep. He will turn the switch off because it becomes his and not yours anymore. Listen, I, I, I read this, and I'll, I'll close with this, but I read about a farmer who needed a hired hand. He lived on the Atlantic coast, and he needed somebody to help him with his farm, and he, he kept getting people who would help him, but they weren't very good help, and he got so frustrated that he could not get good help, and he kept advertising for good help, and finally a man came along and he said, are you a good worker? Will you work hard for me? And this is exactly what he said. He said, I can sleep when the storms come at night. And the farmer who lived on the Atlantic coast, who knew that they struggled with storms all the time, rolling in off the coast, said, well, that's a good thing, but that's not really what I'm looking for. I'm, I'm looking for somebody who will be a good hand and help me with my farm. And he said, well, I can tell you this, I can sleep when the storms come at night. And the farmer finally just kind of got frustrated but said, I need somebody, so I'll, I'll hire you. And sure enough, the, the farmhand worked hard. Uh, he helped magnificently. And uh, the farmer was very pleased with the help that the farmhand gave. But one night he got very frustrated with the farmhand because there was no doubt that a storm was rolling in off the coast. And late that evening... He went to the farmhand's house and he knocked on the door and burst into the farmhand and said, I need help. A storm is coming in and we need to get everything secure and taken care of. 
And the farmhand turned to him and said, I can sleep well in the midst of a storm. And went back to sleep. And the farmer got so frustrated that he said, I'm tempted to fire you on the spot. And he said, you can do that if you want, but you just need to know I can sleep well in the midst of a storm. So the farmhand took off and decided he would go take care of everything himself. And as he took off and went to go check on everything that he owned, he discovered that the farmhand had already taken care of it, that he had already tied everything down, put everything away, and everything was safe and secure from the storm. And the farmer realized what the farmhand had told him all along, that he can sleep well in the midst of a storm, came from the fact that he was always prepared when he went to bed that night. Listen, the analogy here is very simple for you and for me. We can go to bed very well at night. We can sleep very well at night when we act just like the farmhand does. When we take care of everything before our head hits that pillow. When we pour out our hearts to God. When we examine our hearts before God. And when we give our hearts to God. Then we know that everything is tied down. Everything's under His control. And we can put our head on the pillow. And we can say just like David says in verse 8 of Psalm 4. I will lie down and I will sleep in peace. Because you alone, O oh God, keep me safe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm talking to people and sharing my heart with people that are a lot like me, that sometimes struggle at night to sleep. And sometimes struggle during the day to walk just because there's so many things going on within our heads. Father, my prayer tonight would be that you would allow these sweet people to get a good night's rest. Father, may they pour out their heart to you and be honest with you. Father, may they examine their hearts and see what needs to be corrected. And Father, may they offer their hearts to you because you are the God that will allow them to sleep in peace. Father, as we continue to write our letter of our lives, may our letters point to you and to you alone. God, we thank you for your great grace and your great mercy and your great love. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.